yesterday I did a podcast explaining what happened uh, that God did on December 22nd, that, this past Sunday. And I had mentioned how God has given me some uh, revelations on hell, and I wanted to do a podcast today about that. And the purpose of this is honestly to help people uh, go out and preach the gospel. Um, Everything I'm about to say does not negate that God is a wonderful father, and I'm telling you from firsthand experience, it doesn't negate the mercy that he has on anybody and that he's willing to uh, take in anyone uh, who's willing to repent and believe in Jesus. Like, God is not a respecter of people at all. He's not a biased judge in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, he offers mercy to everyone, and I want to get that out because I don't know who all will listen, uh, and I want it to make it very known that God is not um, schizophrenic. He's not mixed with his emotions or his judgments, that he's very well intact. He knows exactly who he is, and he deals justice and mercy all at the same time, and that's applied on a person, then justice is satisfied because Jesus paid for that person's wrath that was specifically stored against them from the Father. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that anything and everything I'm about to say does not negate God's salvation. And, you know, some people might say, oh, well, you're not being loving enough. Well, I'm just giving you a full aspect about God, not only his goodness and his mercy, but also the very real reality that there is a hell and God, you know, Psalm 711, God is angry with the wicked every day. It's fact, whether we like it or not, it's not up to us to agree with it or not, because he's still going to be exactly who he is, whether we like it or not. And fortunately for us, God's character doesn't change, and that includes when he decides to have mercy on someone. And, you know, that person, if, if they run their race, their faith... You know, to the very end, and they, and they strive for the narrow gate, and they cling on to Jesus. Then God will justify that person for all eternity, and He will separate them from their sin as far as the east is from the west. He'll throw all accounts and records of wrongdoing against Him in the sea of forgetfulness, and He'll never be brought up against them ever again. So it's a wonderful thing, actually, that God never changes in in His character, and He wouldn't flip flop like that on us. It's everything that I'm saying boils down to the fact that God is good. And sometimes that's beneficial to us and sometimes it's not. But the point that I'm getting at is it doesn't matter at the end of the day, honestly. Because even uh, pertaining to us, all of this salvation, judgment is about God and God being satisfied. For over a hundred years now, there's been this humanism mentality that has crept. It, it crept into colleges uh, after Freudian philosophy uh, came into psychology that man is the end all and be all of all things. And it's crept into Christianity where, you know, people will take the scripture where Jesus said that he came to serve, not to be served, to the upteenth degree. And they don't realize that. He came to serve as a high priest to offer his blood in the holy place 
to forever make intercession between God and man, thus bringing peace between God and man. But there's a time coming where he'll come back on his horse and on his thigh is inscribed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He'll split the Mount of Olives when he touches back on the earth and he'll start willy and nailing justice. It's just fact. Uh, so I said all this as a five minute disclaimer. So let me get into what God has shown me. Um, everything really kind of started uh, way back in my junior year in high school. In my junior year in high school, um, I started experiencing lots of pain when I ate and drank and brushed my teeth. And uh, I was adopted by my grandparents, so my grandparents took me to the family doctor, in which case he said I had stage one leukoplakia, which is uh, uh, mouth cancer. And it had whittled away at me in a very big and scary way. I've always been a big guy, uh, but even at 250 pounds, six foot tall, uh, I was in ROTC. I'd always hit 80 percentile or higher on my physical fitness test when it came to running, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, all those. I was always 80 percentile or higher for my height and weight category. So even though... I might have been a heavy guy. I was pretty solid and uh, pretty athletic. Uh, When this started developing even further, I dropped down to about 180 pounds. And it became very apparent to people and to teachers that I was losing weight very, very fast. And I hadn't told anybody. uh, No one at school, none of my friends, none of the teachers knew what was going on. One teacher thought I was battling some kind of eating disorder. And I had to assure them that that wasn't the case. And uh, trying to eliminate suspicions. Um, So a lot of that happened beginning of the year, mid mid part of the year. And then towards the end end of the year, I was in my uh, junior English class. And all this was going on at, 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 at... been born again since I was 13 and my junior English teacher was uh, going to school for becoming an ordained Methodist minister and so I would actually confide a lot in him and we would talk about scriptures and things like that he was also a former uh, Navy he uh, spoke German and Russian and ran a Russian club and uh, it, it was pretty neat to actually, I mean, he, he had a perspective about different cultures and things like that and, and help break to some degree the little Texas bubble that I lived in and also uh, would share scriptures with me and say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm really dealing with some stuff. And, and he would, he, he was always patient and always listen and I greatly appreciated his help. And... Uh, I'm sitting in this class and he's showing this Russian independent film and I'm in a lot of pain and I'm sitting against the wall, the lights are, are down and uh, I, I just, I tell the Lord, I've dealt with sickness my whole life and I, I was just tired of, of one thing after another. Uh, when I was in the fifth grade, I had uh, a condition where ulcers covered every square inch of my stomach is what the doctor said. They did a sonogram on my stomach just like they would a pregnant woman you know checking a baby in her womb 
but they did the same thing on my stomach and found ulcers everywhere, uh, acute ulcers. And it was killing me and it scared my parents and probably put a strain on their marriage. I mean, I know it wasn't me necessarily and I'm not getting into, you know, family woes and things like that, but it certainly put a strain, um, because, I mean, they, they were scared that they were losing me. And uh, it was right around that time that the purple pill, uh, I think it's Prilosec, but it was called the purple pill, came out uh, specifically for ulcers. And, and that quite literally saved my life. Um, and that was before I was born again. And uh, so my whole life just dealing with like a bunch of sicknesses and family on both sides you know, sickly and, and chock full of cancer and other stuff. And it's just, you know, gross, black generational curses, uh, which are no longer applicable to me. Praise God. Um, uh, as I was saying though, so dealt with sickness and I was just, I was tired of hurting. And, uh, I just tell the Lord, it wasn't that I was suicidal, but I told the Lord, you know, if, if you don't have a plan for me here on this earth, then I don't really see a point in me lingering around. And if you would, I'm, I'm praying to him in English class. I was like, I'd rather just be with you. And I'd rather not have to deal with all this. I'd rather just be with you. And uh, the Lord responded. He gave me this crazy vision. Uh, it was so, the vision was so real. I could, I could hear, I could smell, I could feel the atmosphere around me. I could, it, it was, it was intense. Like I, I was there in the classroom, but I was very much there in this vision at the same time. And the place that it was a hallway, a dark stony hallway, um, not the stony part matters, but it was so dark that the darkness itself was tangibly touchable it was you could feel the darkness you wave your hand and you could feel the darkness it was it was so crazy and uh, as I'm going down this this corridor there's these kind of like displays that are cut out of the walls where there's these semicircle arch ways and inside these archways there's these rooms that you know are like, I, I don't really know, but it was, you know, something like 10 foot by 10 foot room. And there's these people inside these rooms that you can clearly see as you walk down these hallways, as you know, it was like they were meant to be displayed. Uh, there was these people that these barbed chains were interwoven through their limbs and their bodies. And they were pulled apart and held, they were suspended you know, by the chains pulled apart. And in this vision, I somehow understood that these people could still feel the pain of being pulled apart. Each individual piece was still thriving in pain. And it was uh, gut-wrenching. I could smell the smell of death and decay. Like, if you've ever worked hospice or been in a nursing home there's like a particular smell when when someone passes away and you know minus the the cleaner it's kind of there was that and then there was a smell of burnt people 
Like, and when you burn hair or when you overly burn bacon to a blackened crisp that just falls apart, you know, like, like ashes, there was a, a mix of all this that I could smell and it was absolutely gut-wrenching. And there was the sound of hundreds and thousands of people that were moaning, crying, wailing, greeting in pain, and it would not stop. And when much later, you know, I, I was um, at my father-in-law's house. He wasn't my father-in-law then, but uh, him and I were friends before I married his daughter, my wife, Aubrey. And I'm over at their house, and they're watching a video on the Brownsfield Revival and Steve Hill and Holy Spirit's moving in the in the church. And there's this sound of crying and laughter, but just, you know, a lot of noise from hundreds of people, you know, thousands of people, I think. I mean, it was, the, the place was packed. And no one's preaching, you know, they're, they're letting Holy Spirit do what Holy Spirit's doing on people. But just the sound of all that noise of all those people reminded me very much of the sound that I heard in this vision. Now, there were two different things going on. One, people were being tormented in the vision. And then two, in, in, in the uh, revival, you know, God's healing people and, and doing a fantastic work on people. But the sound very much sounded the same. And immediately, like, my, my, my skin flushed and there was a knot in my throat and my stomach flipped because it brought me back to that vision that I had. And uh, Aubrey saw that I was flush and, and, you know, my countenance just changed. And she asked if, if everything was all right and has reminded me of that uh, vision. And then since we were engaged, I went in a welding school. And uh, for the majority of my married life, I've had a career as a welder. Uh, up until I've had like a year or so as an inspector and now another year or so as an inspector I keep three times now went from welder to inspector at, at the job and uh, when you're a welder there's you know hot metal spatter that comes off especially if you uh, make weld and when those hot molten BBs touch your skin even if you got you know the correct protective equipment on sometimes it just burns through because I mean everything has a burning point and it singes your skin there's that smell and it's it it's along the same lines of what I smelled in the vision you know along with the burnt hair and along with the death smell just all together just just sickness death and filth like all together and burn and I'm, I'm seeing and I'm smelling and I'm you know all my senses are firing in this vision that that I had and I'm continuing down this hallway and I see this creature it wasn't human and it wasn't a demon it was this creature that it came into one of the rooms and the moment it saw the person it absolutely loathed that individual. There was such hatred on their face. You could see the disgust on their face when they 
came into the same room as this person and they went and they tightened these wheels that pulled a person further apart. And that was the vision. And then I come back to and I'm back in the classroom and I, I want to scream. I can't scream because people think I'm crazy, you know, in the middle of this room. Nothing, you know, no one is aware of what I just experienced, what I've been through. So I had to try and, and contain myself. But I noticed pretty quickly that uh, the pain uh, in my mouth was starting to go away, that there was relief finally beginning to happen. And shortly after, these spots that had developed in my, in my mouth, under my gums and, and under my tongue, were going away. And it didn't hurt to talk and eat and drink and brush my teeth anymore. I still didn't eat though, but it was because I was messed up by this vision that I had. It, it took me a while to even eat again. It, it just it, it scarred me in a horrible way. And uh, but you know, uh, it, it's been fuel for gospel preaching. So I mean, it wasn't a bad thing. Um, just in at the moment, in the time that the vision happened, I didn't understand much of anything that was happening um, I didn't know my Bible nearly as well as I do now I didn't know that it was even God giving me the vision uh, at that point in time um, but I had that vision and after having that vision God healed my cancer that I had and you know I, I praise God that that's gone away and for the longest time, there was like just this red spot that was on the side of my face that I thought was just some kind of remnant. I mean, it didn't hurt, didn't do anything. And I was like, if that's all, then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to complain one bit. But even that finally went away years later. But, you know, I don't know if it had anything to do with the cancer or not. It was just there after the cancer went away and it was there for years. Um, but even that finally went away. And I, I was so happy that God killed me of that cancer and uh, some years down the road uh, I say some years it was like two years down the road you know after graduating uh, I moved in and an apartment with a friend of mine from school and uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, she had come down with cervical cancer there was some kind of virus that was spreading around that time and girls needed to get some kind of shot and she didn't get the shot and she caught the virus and she got cervical cancer from it I don't, I don't really remember a whole lot about it but that's what happened and it seemed she was in uh, uh, recovery <clears throat> so they released her from the hospital and uh, he took her out on the date and just you know caught up with her and and, and uh, just met up with her and uh they didn't tell me where they were going to go or anything, and I just happened to run into them. It was this IHOP uh, off of Debbie Lane and 287 in Mansfield, and I just happened to run into them there. And uh, the Lord told me <coughs> that uh, he had brought me there because he wanted me to preach the gospel to her before she was to die. And I, I had given her the gospel in high school, uh, my senior year in high school, there was this yielding the Holy Spirit. I, I'm, 
can't explain it other than that. And with that became this unction to tell people about Jesus. And so I, I, I was already telling people in high school about Jesus to the best of my ability. And it wasn't that great, but I tried. And um, I, I said hi to them at the IHOP. And I shot the breeze with them for just a few minutes and, you know, just saying hi. And then I walked off and I didn't give the gospel to her. And then two months down the road, that roommate who was no longer my roommate, I had moved out, uh, texted me and told me that she had passed away. And immediately I saw... I don't know if it was my imagination or if it was a vision, but I just, I saw her being tormented in flame and fire and it bothered me so bad because the Lord had put me in front of her to give her the gospel and I didn't. And there was, there's been a few occasions where I know that's specifically been the case and it haunted me for a very long time that there was people that were burning in hell and I could have gave them the gospel and I didn't. And it bothered me for such a long time. And some of the main reason why I preached the gospel, you know, uh, especially the first couple years, you know, from 2010, to about 2012 was mainly fueled by I didn't want people to die in their sins and go to hell. I didn't want them to be judged in their sin and sent to a lake of fire. Um, that being said, that's not a wrong motive or revelation. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5, I think it's verse 11, says, Knowing the terror of the Lord, let us persuade men. However, it shouldn't be the only revelation that fuels us for gospel preaching. But it's not a bad one. You know, Paul said, well unto me if I don't preach the gospel. And there's a few reasons and motives why he said that. And some of them, you know, because knowing that God's a, a very thorough judge and some of it because he knows that Jesus is a very wonderful savior. It's, it's both. And, uh, it, it bothered me to the point and this was while I was uh, still single. It bothered me to the point where I'm losing sleep. And I'm crying out to God daily. You know, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. Not realizing that even Jesus paid for these sins too at the time. And uh, the Lord finally led me to Psalms where David had pleaded with God to deliver him from this blood guilt that he had and I finally caught revelation of that and got peace uh, knowing that Jesus even paid for these sins that I committed as a Christian too and so I finally was able to gain peace from that and moving on I've had a few experiences, for example, like uh, my maternal grandfather, the one who adopted me, uh, tripped and fell in a driveway, hit his head, had a concussion. He, uh, his, my grandmother took him to the hospital and they ran a CAT scan and they found this huge tumor in the back of his head. And 
they, you know, fast forward in time, they uh, finally had to do surgery and remove that tumor, uh, which meant they were going to, you know, open up a skull and and uh, cut the tumor out. And they, they weren't just going to cut only tumor, but to be very thorough to try and prevent it from coming back uh, where the tumor was at and where it was lodged it was on the memory part of his brain on the on the, on the lobe that deals with memory so they had a memory specialist come in and made sure that my grandmother knew uh how to pay all the bills and how to you know basically be able to run her life because my grandfather did everything for her that was his way of showing affection to her was he took care of her you know beyond what would probably be considered normal. Uh, he did everything for her, just short of getting gas for her every time. I mean, she had to do that. Uh, but he paid all the bills. He would get her rings and necklaces, you know, a couple times throughout every year. He just, he, that was his way of showing affection to her. And, uh, so they had this memory special come in memory specialist come in and help um, my grandmother so that she can continue living life normally and taking care of my grandfather after his memory was literally going to be cut out of his brain and be able to take care of him and explain how with memory loss he's probably going to have personality changes and things like that uh, I finally convinced my boss this was the first job where I was a welder um and it was not the greatest place to work, but I needed experience. Finally convinced my boss to let me go to the hospital before he had the surgery. And uh, got there just in the nick of time um, before they took him back to operate on him. And I'm pleading with him. I'm, I'm telling him, you know, Grandpa, you don't have to do this. We can walk away now. Jesus can heal you of, of everything you're going through. And you can walk away pain-free, cancer-free. You don't have to deal with any of this because he already paid for it by his stripes. We're healed like Jesus paid for this. And I've been preaching the gospel to my family for a couple of years at this point. And, and now I'm pleading with them, you know, that Jesus can heal this and he doesn't have to go through with it. And he wouldn't listen and, and just dismiss me in a very condescending tone. And I'm, I'm at the end of myself, I, I can't do anything for him. And I, I ask God, I'm like, you know, I can't do anything. You know, what else can I do? And the Lord said to rebuke the situation. So they're taking him back in surgery. And I asked the doctors to stop for a second. I'm going I'm to pray for my grandfather. And they obliged. And I'm, I'm very thankful they did. And I just laid my hands on his head. And as the Lord said, I said, I just in the name of Jesus, I just rebuked this situation. And then he went back and had surgery. And... After the surgery, uh, Aubrey and I, and I think she was she was either pregnant with Judah or we had Judah as a baby and she was pregnant with Abigail. I always forget. Um, we show up and we enter his room and he points at me. He says, there's Kenneth. And he points at Aubrey. He says, there's Aubrey. And he points at Judah and says, there's Judah. And he says, this is nothing short of the hand of God. And I told him, you're absolutely right. This is nothing short of the hand of God. They cut into the memory part of his brain. And they're expecting that he wasn't going to remember a thing. And he remembered it all. And uh, 
it was just absolutely nuts. And then fast forward some months later, um, he was he undergone this very experimental, risky chemo, and it had burned through one of his legs being diabetic it meant his circulation wasn't the greatest and it kind of stuck in his leg and then it just burned out of his leg and uh he's on hospice at this point and actually this is like four days before he uh or three days before he passes away and uh he calls me up on the phone and i was working a job actually in mansfield at the time and um he asked if I could come to the house and I said I'll be there in a few minutes and so I uh, leave work and I get there to the house and uh, my stepdad and my mom's husband's there too and uh, he said he asked me if God would stop the growth of the cancer in his brain to allow his leg to heal long enough so that he could uh, undergo the surgery again so that they could remove because it came back bigger, much bigger, and it was rapidly growing. And uh, I had to tell him, I had to stand my ground and tell him, like, the only reason why God answers the prayers that I pray is because I pray according to his will. And I couldn't pray the prayer that he was asking me to. And I told him, because Jesus desires to heal you completely, not not steady the doctor's hands for your surgery and not stop the cancer long enough for your leg to heal he wants he wants to heal you right now instantaneously of everything you're dealing with because he paid for it he paid for that already he suffered for it and he deserves what he suffered for and i began to tell him how god is not a burger king god god doesn't bend to our will he's not a genie in a bottle he is sovereign and we submit to his lordship and his authority and who he is and we benefit from you know submitting to him that's that's the nature of things and I'm explaining this to him that you know it's God's way we we don't get to have our way with God it, it's God has his way with us and just like that you know I told him, you say you're a Christian, but if you've never been born again, then it doesn't matter. And with you so close to death, like, you really need to repent and put your faith and trust in God. And I remember talking with him, and the last thing he ever said to me when he could, you know, the last time he could speak was that day. And the last thing he said to me was, if you and your God don't want anything to do with me, then I don't want anything to do with you and your God. And... It was actually more alleviating than hurtful because it finally, what I knew was there finally came to the surface. And I knew it would eventually that he, you know, his whole life, my whole life, he said he believed in God. Having studied the scriptures, I had realized and even told him. You know, if you don't have this born-again experience, then it doesn't matter how much you believe in God. You know, the book of James says, even the demons believe and tremble, and you don't even tremble, so you got less faith than the devils do. And uh, I told him, without this born-again encounter, which only comes through repentance and faith, it doesn't matter anyways. And um, that was the last thing he said to me. 
And uh, the next day, my grandmother calls me and tells me that today might be the last day because he can't open his eyes and he can't speak and he can only squeeze your hand, you know, once for yes, twice for no. And uh, so I came over and uh, talking with them and, and I spent the day with them. And then at the end of the day, the Lord was like, hey, I gave you this opportunity to give the gospel to him again. And I was like, oh, no. I completely let that slip my mind. And I asked God, and God's so wonderful. I asked God, I was like, can you give me one more day with them before you take them and, and judge them? And he said, okay. And uh, I called my grandmother up the next day and it was, it was with just him and I and no one else around so that I can just be as blatantly honest with them about his situation as I need to be. And everyone, uh, sure enough, everyone came over to me and they're like hey Kenneth can you watch him for a little while uh, while we go to Walmart and get things that we need to get we're running out of basic things around the house and I was like yeah sure I, I, I don't mind at all and he didn't really require me to do much for him uh, is he was good on his uh, pain meds and so he was about as comfortable as he could be and uh, but I had a moment with him finally alone and I just told him the severity of his situation I told him you know grandfather you're about to die and you're about to meet God and from what I can gather you were not born again and I'm only telling you this because this is this is a last chance from God I asked for this day and he gave me this day and you're still here and you know I know you're in a lot of pain but he gave me this day you know so that I can tell you this because God's desire is that this would be the last day that you suffer and all these requiring is repentance and faith and I know you might be scared because you know you're dying and and you know your butts on the back burner but that's not repentance and you need to separate that from understanding that you have personally provoked God to wrath and if you were to die which you're going to do soon in the state that you are currently in you will be judged and you will be sent to hell and he starts moving like I hadn't seen him move since he uh, came in the state and I could tell that he didn't necessarily like what I was saying uh, it was such a reaction I've never seen before out of him uh, couldn't talk couldn't open his eyes but he, he moved uh, a lot and I just I was straightforward with him I told him you know that I loved him very much and I don't want to see him go and I have appreciated everything that him and my grandmother did for me and taking me in willingly it was their their choice they didn't have to but he needed he needed to repent or he was gonna face the wrath of God and that was it that was the last thing I said to my grandfather and this year, 2019, my paternal grandfather passed away as well, and he grew up in church, and, and I had a moment where I could speak alone to him. My, my dad just offered, you know, if I wanted to, you know, talk with him, and he, same thing, couldn't open his eyes. Wasn't as responsive as my other grandfather was, but I, got, I told him the same thing, like, just because he grew up in church didn't matter. Rats grow up in church. Cockroaches grow up in church. And just because he can endure the message, because he's endured some hellfire preaching, uh, 
I know from me and and from his dad's church doesn't mean that he's saved and that he had to repent and believe and God still required the born again experience where Holy Spirit comes down and changes them and it's not too late and you know it's not about being scared to die because you know you're about to die and Christianity is not a comfort for people to feel about death but it's about God getting glory from your salvation and you experiencing the bliss and joy of, of God's presence for all eternity and explaining all of this to him and then shortly after he passed away and uh, just because I've had some family members that I know have died and they died in their sin does not mean that I needed to change my doctrine um, what the Bible says remains true regardless of any of our experiences because we can have experiences that line up to the scriptures and we can have experiences that don't line up to the scriptures for example if you believe that God is your healer then you can experience healing but if you don't believe that chances are you probably won't but it doesn't make it any less true and that being said there are some very objectionable, objectionable truths that are not subjected to our feelings and our experiences. And two of those are that Jesus is a wonderful Savior and that there really is a place called hell. And God sends people who refuse the salvation that Jesus offers to a place called hell. And they will be tormented and for all of the eternity and they will not experience a moment of let up um, there's nothing pleasant about hell there's nothing pleasant in hell there's no clock in clock out this is your torment time it's non-stop and it's forever it's for all eternity and there is an absolute feeling and I felt this in the vision of despair of hopelessness that there is no hope once entering this place called hell you enter and you do not leave and you are no longer in charge of yourself uh, you are tossed about or chain bound whatever against your will and there are things that are there that are going to torment you and lead you into torment against your will for all of eternity but one thing that will not leave your mind or your heart even in the midst of all that pain and torment is the fact that the Lord is God and he was gonna have his way whether that blessed you or whether it didn't and you will know in hell that his desire was to save you and you 100% refused his offer of mercy and grace and salvation Hebrews 2 it says that how then shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation and I think it's Hebrews 6 it says you know what shall we do then if we outreach the spirit of grace and treat the blood of the son as a common thing and trample him underfoot like how do you think that would make God feel and God has revealed certain aspects about his heart that I don't know if too many people know but like God is a jealous very very jealous God you know his spirit jealously yearns for our spirit he desires to be your God and only your God and no other God in your heart but him he desires to father you. He desires to lead you in the good things. 
and he desires to provide for you and what he wants to do is just give you all these wonderful things that would bless you and help you not only in this life but he just wants you to be satisfied with him completely and even you know if you live your life in faith and, and you're forever just fighting the blood of Jesus what makes heaven heaven or what makes you know whatever you want to call it because you know it, it doesn't matter what, whatever the end goal is actually the father you know it's not necessarily a place called heaven and what I mean by that is is John 14 6 Jesus said I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but by me he doesn't say I'm the way to heaven he says I'm the way to the father that God is the uh, goal in this race and he is our destination not a place called heaven and it's in his presence is where all the joy and the euphoria and and the bliss comes from for all eternity and he's he's very wonderful um i'm ecstatic thinking about you know just god's presence in in this car that i'm sitting in like this whole time god's been here and i've been both messed up by reliving this vision and also messed up by his goodness all at the same time and that's kind of the place where i've i'm at now is there's this absolute revelation about hell and at the same time there's this wonderful absolute revelation of a good god and wonderful savior that is given me far better than i deserve and so i take both of these revelations you know i don't want people to go to hell and at the same time, I want people to experience the born-again experience just like I did. And I want people to get to know God like I've gotten to know God and how wonderful He is. And just the sheer joy of His presence. It's satisfying in ways that earthly delights do not even compare. Like TV or, you know whatever games none of these things entertainment does not compare to the presence of god and it's not something that's solemn or somber or stoic you know it's not at all as you probably mainly see in religious establishments and you know my pastor uh, talks about this from luke 10 and it's a wonderful example that when the uh, 72 and the 12 came back from preaching the gospel in pairs that uh, they said even the demons uh, obeyed and he said uh, don't rejoice that you know demons obey but rather that your names are written in, in the book of life in heaven and it says that and Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and my pastor says I wonder what happened that Luke wrote this down that was so noteworthy that Jesus specifically rejoiced in the spirit what do you think that looks like and I think a lot of people whether because they've never been born again and they have not experienced God's goodness will not understand this because the only thing that they can understand is is you know a religious repeat or you know some of us we've been born again and you know what we thought was what was the regimented religion you know that was as far as we could go but no like that's not so far from actual Christianity that what real Christianity is, is Jesus paid for sin so that the one thing that separates you from God is paid for and you no longer 
are separated from God because Jesus dealt with sin. And what that means is that God lives in your skin suit with you. And at the same time, you are enveloped and live in and walk with the presence of God. And there's nothing to separate you from God anymore. That is the point of Christianity. You know, Jesus on the cross, repentance and faith and the born again experience were not the pinnacle of Christianity. They're, they're the foundation which Christianity is laid on. And the very things that support, you know, this walk with God, you know, because there's so much to do. Jesus said, greater things will you do because I go to the Father and you see me no more. So there's so much, you know, about God to trust in his... I've, I've had wonderful adventures, you know, especially with Mark 16, 15. Um, our pastor, um, Pastor Cletus Adrian of Deliverance Bible Church has uh, done these, this this thing he calls Mark 16, 15, which, you know, that scripture says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, where he sent teams to different cities throughout the world to preach the gospel. And on these trips... I have been very fortunate to be able to say, okay, God, I want to see you do this. God, I want to take this scripture and I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to put my faith and trust in this. And if you don't come through, then, you know, things could happen in a, in a bad way. What that means is, is I've actually experimented with the word and, and said, okay, God, how trustworthy are you? And a kind of joyful game of, you know, I'm trusting God on his word and he's happy to respond to that faith and come through on the scripture that I'm standing on. Whether it's pertained to people getting healed or it's pertained to seeing someone radically born again and changed right in front of my eyes. There's a wonderful walk with God to be had. You know, Ephesians 2.10, where is workmanship created in Christ Jesus in which he had beforehand ordained the works that we are to walk in. There's so much to Christianity. Uh that is experiencing God. The whole of it is experiencing God. And right now our church is in revival. And what revival simply means is God visiting a church and reviving that church, resuscitating, bringing back to life. All revival is, is the presence of God himself and is God himself. And just by his sheer existence where there are people gathered, it fixes and changes and revives people and fix their broken hearts and, and fills them with, with his presence and makes them carriers of revival to then go out and bring the kingdom here on earth and where people are sitting in darkness and in death to bring the light of the gospel backed with the anointing and, and, and the presence of God that would change someone who's not even looking for God. That is something that is like so wonderful to experience and is this wonderful, beautiful cycle of revival and souls of you know experiencing God's goodness and his presence and getting filled with with God and then taking him to the world where you know they wouldn't they would not have a chance to even interact with God if it wasn't for you coming up to them filled with the presence of God and conveying him life being conveyed to them through the present the preaching the presentation of the gospel it's like there's there's god who is life and he is writing on the gospel which you preach and presenting to these people that would otherwise not be able to interact with him because their sins separate them from god but god set up where people like you like me who have experienced his goodness and his grace and 
through repentance and faith have become born again and taking that and sharing it with people. That's why he doesn't rely on the angels to preach his gospel because they have never experienced redemption. He leaves it to us because we know his redemption and we can tell our fellow man, I am a person just like you. And just like you, I've been in the same boat where there's a real reality that there is a hell to pay for the life of sin that we have lived. But I'm telling you, you know, there, I'm, I'm here to tell you that there's a Jesus who can save you from that life of sin, who can save you from that wrath to come, and who could righteously justify you and make peace between you and God, that God would no longer be angry with you. And in fact, God would become such a wonderful father to you like you've never experienced, even if you had the best dad in the whole world. And, you know, we, we become these carriers of this message because we've experienced this message in our own lives. And so I, I wanted to leave with uh, this message. You know, this is Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2019. This is right around the time, you know, 10 years ago that I began preaching the gospel like really in open air preaching and I started the very first thing that came out of my mouth was Matthew 121 as I stood up on the stool in Waxahachie while there was this Christmas nativity thing going on between these three churches and as you know Matthew 121 Gabriel told Mary that you won't call him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins and I began to open air preach with that and the gospel really gets me and if you have not experienced God's goodness, all he's requiring is that repentance and faith to turn away from sin and to grab hold of what Jesus did for you, that on that cross, he took on your sin. On that cross, he, he actually like became you and God poured out his wrath on Jesus so he didn't have to pour it out on you. That if you would grab hold of that and trust that, that Jesus paid your fine and cry out to God, you know, an earnest plea for mercy and that salvation and, and an earnest expectation to be forever changed by God, that that born again experience that's required where the spirit of God, you know, comes down and he births a new life into you like a mother gives birth to a child and he replaces a stony, cold, dead heart, you know, with a heart filled with the love of God and makes this promise and seals you with redemption seals you under redemption you know where he walks and talks with you holy spirit is very much like an engagement ring from god he's a promise and he's a guarantor that jesus will save you from a life of sin and he's a guarantor that you know you will have an eternity and bliss with god that's the whole point and i would just you know earnestly beg you just be honest with god about who you really are and the you that no one else sees and just be honest, god this is who i am this is the liar i've become this is the adulterer that i am this is the murderer because i've hated people that i've become and and if you'll be honest with him about that he will respond with mercy every single time he he's not in the business of shaming sinners but he is in the business of dealing with sin once and for all god convicts of sin not to shame but to deal with it to be done with this problem between you and him and so he does bring it up but it's to, to deal with it and i would just encourage anybody throw pride out the window who cares about saving face because what's at stake you know your eternity in torment or experiencing salvation and joy 
you know, it should be a no-brainer. And I really hope that this message encourages you. You know, it's gone on for nearly an hour now, and if you're still listening, I greatly appreciate it. If you want another podcast to listen to, I'm kind of at the end. Uh, this is this is really all that I wanted to say uh, about this. Um, but if you need another uh, podcast, a much better one, honestly, uh, search Revival in Souls. That's my pastor, Pastor Cletus Adrian of Deliverance Bible Church, and he has some wonderful podcasts on his station. Uh, and also there's my wife, Aubrey C.D. Speaks. Uh, you can hear what she uh, is preaching and has to say and what God's doing, you know, with her. And she has a lot better voice than mine. So I would offer those uh, podcasts as well. And uh, I greatly appreciate your time. And I really hope, you know, this is a heavy topic, but I really hope this is encouraging as well. And I really pray that the reality of hell becomes very real to you, but not to, not to um, fill you full of despair, but actually to use as fuel to preach the gospel. And to know that, you know, if you've been born again, this is the thing that you got saved from in eternity and torment. And that should really put the joy in your heart if you've been born again. You know, you, if you realize, you know, God reached down this far and pulled me out of this mess. You know, it should it should be fuel also in that same sense. You know, knowing the terror of the Lord, let us persuade men. And yet at the same time, what manner of love has God uh, bestowed on us that we get to be called the children of God. So fueled in the love of the Father that casts out all fear, you know, and fueled by knowing that God is a thorough judge and a thorough prosecutor. You know, we want to warn people, you know, that there is a hell to pay or a wonderful Savior to gain. And so I hope this leaves you encouraged. And uh, that's pretty much it on this podcast. I'll probably be putting a few more out. And I greatly thank you for your time. Be blessed, be blessed, be blessed.